listening to The 66, a podcast where we go through the books of the Bible one at a time. And by now, I'm sure you're familiar with our process. Are we still having technical difficulty? No, we're good. Okay, we're good. Sorry about that. Get out of this. Yeah, we've had we're having a little bit of problems with our with our mics here. Despite the fact we do the same thing every single week. It always seems to be different when we get in here. We're taking but, applications for a producer. Right. You can like to produce the 66 send an email to Andrew. Yeah, we can and, uh, we can compensate you with I don't know, cookies. a bag of cookies every now and then, yeah. Yeah. made cookies. Yeah. Brought cookies. Yeah, we can bring cookies. If you'll be our producer, you get cookies once a week, depending on how good of a job you do in producing our show. But by now, I'm sure you're familiar with our our little process that we go through to study. We take a few minutes at the beginning of each episode to read whatever text we're in for the week. And today we are continuing our study in Second Timothy. And we are in chapter 3. So what we're going to find today is that Paul is giving some of what we've already seen. He's giving Timothy some instruction here. This is He's getting close to the end of his final address to Timothy in this letter. Uh, we know we've already read that. Uh, actually, no, we haven't read this yet. We're going to get to it in chapter 4, uh, where Paul says he knows he's near the time of his departure. Um, so this is kind of Paul's last advice to Timothy and I think we said last week it's almost like Paul is passing on the mantle to yeah. Timothy. So some pretty serious heavy stuff going on in the chapter or in the whole book rather. And in this chapter he's going to be giving Timothy some sound advice for what's coming up. He's warning him that there'll be people in Ephesus who are going to start to reject his teachings. And in order to combat that sort of apostasy and falling away He's going to give Timothy a few examples to hang on to and to remember to keep him going through those difficult times. Yeah, I'm glad. I like the way you put it. I'm I'm thinking of it in terms of navigating through the last days. We could use that as a title, or we've also talked about this phrase that I like in the ESV. Um, uh, I lost it. Going from bad to worse. Uh, Yeah. Because that's what is going to happen, Paul's saying, it's bad now, I'm in prison, but in the last days, it's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we this is the main idea of this chapter, and we know this, for example, from verse 1, where he says, understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Uh, so he, he he's talking about it, I know last days and last times makes you think of the end of the world. But he's talking about something that Timothy is going to have to look out for. So he's talking about something within Timothy's generation. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a better known verse is verse 12 where he says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Mm -hmm. So the last days in which Timothy lived, we may talk about that a little more. I think we already have uh, when we covered 1 Timothy 4, 1 and following. But we'll talk about it some more, I think, um, at some point in the podcast. Yep. It's uh, the last days are coming, or they are here, and they are full of difficulty and persecution. So the question Timothy might ask is, how do I navigate this successfully? And uh, Paul answers with two negatives and a positive. Okay, so first of all, he says, you can navigate this, but not through trust in people. 
not through trusting in, in ordinary people, especially the kinds of people that he describes in verses 2 and following. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. And then the one that I'm not sure I understand, verse 6, For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of these uh, of the two men. Okay, so I'm not reading a high belief in people here. I, I oh, yeah. what I'm reading is a list of sins, and of course he's talking about people other than faithful Christians like Timothy. But Timothy is capable of some of these sins as well. Yeah. This may be the longest list of sins. There's one in Romans 1 that rivals this, and Paul has written a lot of these. But this is a very colorful, vivid list of the way people behave. And they're, rather than helping Timothy navigate the difficult times, they're actually creating the difficult times. Yeah, this list yeah. seems a little more specific to me than any of the other lists. Yeah. You know, like most of them are real general, but here he's got... Um, di- like it gets all the way down to disobedient to parents. There's yeah. heartless, unappeasable. Uh, a lot of these brutal. Um, there's several here that are not mentioned. I think you did. You just mention this uh, that they're not anywhere else. You know, a lot of these in this list um, only appear here. Yeah. Um, and so most of them only appear in a couple of the other lists. I think um, you might say that they are unique. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would say never unique. having appeared elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so scratch that off the list. If Timothy thinks he's going to get help from people, now we're not saying, and Paul isn't saying that your brothers and sisters can't encourage you, support you, but the way they're not the way. There's a way that seems right to a man, and the end thereof are the ways of death. So the way through this is not the way of humanity. All right. So humanism is off the table. Now, secondly, he says the second negative. Also, it's not going to be through deliverance. In other words, it's not you're not going to be able to escape difficulties. Right. You're not going to be able to escape persecution. It's going to be a, what did the Lord say, narrow and straight gate. It's going to be a difficult way. Yeah. Uh, so verse 10 says, You, however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, and then watch, it takes a turn here, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Notice he endured them. He didn't escape them. He didn't avoid them. He endured them. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. So he was rescued but he wasn't delivered away from the the trials. He was yeah. a way was given him through the trials, not around the trials. Mm-hmm. You could look at it that way. Yeah, it reminds me of 
how he how Paul starts off Second Corinthians, where he's talking about the affliction that he had in Asia. Yeah, and he says we were what does he say we were utterly burdened beyond belief. We despaired of life itself. Mm-hmm. Then he says basically for this reason he put us through that so we would know that he can deliver us from any tribulation. Yeah, and obviously that's paraphrasing, but. Well, Just it sounds little, like 1 Corinthians ten thirteen as well. Yeah. There no temptation is overtaking you, but such is the common to man. God's yeah. faith will not allow you to uh, be tempted beyond what you're able to bear, but with the temptation will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it, Yeah. not avoid it, not go around it. So, mm-hmm. um, so uh, let me pick up where I left off there. Verse 13, while evil people... Wait, no, I, I didn't read verse 12 yet. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Okay, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors, see the first part of the chapter, uh, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So he, you know, he's describing this and he's saying, look, the persecution is not going to stop. It's not going to stop. So the difficulties, are, if anything, are going to get greater during yeah. Timothy's lifetime. So it's you're not going to get out of this through people. You're not going to get out of it through avoiding the difficulties. Um, mm-hmm. So how is Timothy going to get through it? It may not be all that exciting a revelation to our leader, listeners, but it's the truth. The way Timothy is given to navigate these difficult times is the Word of God. And so that begins verse 14. As for you, notice the contrast, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. It's probably talking about the Hebrew Scriptures there, the Old Testament. Uh, Knowing from whom you learned it. uh, There, I reread that again. Uh, How from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation, through faith in Christ Jesus, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So, Timothy's got the secret here. Here's the key. Don't depend on people to lead you through this. Yeah. Don't depend on deliverance as if God doesn't want us to be tested. He does. He disciplines us. He trains us through uh, suffering sometimes. Uh, It will be through holding fast the Word of God, learning it, studying it, um, planting it in your heart, and living by it. That is the way through these difficult times and any difficult time. to the top of chapter 3 if you don't mind Andrew I don't mind do I have okay let's do it Uh, some of these are uh, most of the sins that he lists that are causing the difficulties are self-explanatory we know what lovers of self means we know what lovers of money you know they're greedy they're proud they're arrogant abusive Um, 
Did you find it strange that in this list, with all these terrible things, you have disobedient to parents? I yes, guess, I did. What? So, I mean, what does that mean, and why does it sound strange to us? Well, I think it sounds strange to us because maybe we lose touch with this was one of the main tenets of the like of Jewish identification, right? So this was in the Ten Commandments: honor your father and mother. Yes. So this was a really big deal to Jewish culture in in general, and obviously specifically um, here, this is a value that's you know that's carrying on that Paul is talking about. It reminded me of the little section you have in Deuteronomy twenty one, where there are instructions given for what to do with a stubborn and rebellious child. I just want to read some of this real quick. And don't let me spend too much time on this. Okay. Uh, if a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, he will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother. And though they discipline, it will not listen. Turn the page. Then the father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate. And they shall say to the elders, This is our son. He is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. And all Israel shall hear and fear. So there's a little bit different of a punishment for a stubborn and rebellious child yeah. in Deuteronomy than there and is maybe now. They're not talking about a three-year-old who threw a temper tantrum in the kitchen. Floor. Oh, right, This yeah. is a person who I think I remember you reading drunkard and a glutton. Mm-hmm. So this is an adult child. I think one of the problems we have in looking at this as a natural thing is that we think of children being obedient to their parents up to the age of 18 or 21 or whatever and then yeah. they're out on their own and they become parents and the grandparents help and assist but they yeah. don't have any authority over their children any longer yeah. and that wasn't the way that the Jewish community viewed these things i mean they had extended families and uh especially in you know patriarchal times but even up into these times the oldest living um, parents, whether they be grandparents or great grandparents, they ruled the the household. Yeah. And so it was a very serious thing for some of these to probably, in matters of faith, turn their back on their parents. Um, yeah. But it, I'm not saying it has no application today. We need to be obedient to our parents. Yeah. We need to be obedient to our adult parents, as you know, with exceptions. I, I have to say, you know, we're talking about faithful Christian parents. Who are leading us in the right direction? Yeah, and I know that not everybody listening to this has that, and so I don't want anybody to misunderstand. Yeah, I think maybe the the main idea here is that attitude of being stubborn and rebellious. Yes, stubborn yeah. and rebellious yeah. to anybody trying to help them do what's right, whether right. that's a parent or a grandparent or uh, just anyone else is trying to help them do the right thing. All right, well, let's uh, move through this list. Uh, verse 3 is self-explanatory. Verse 4, um, having the appearance of godliness, verse 5, is interesting because mm-hmm. these are obvious charlatans of of the gospel. They look like preachers, maybe, or they look like faithful Christians, Yeah. but they're really not. They're I just wanna... putting on an act. Let me bring up this question right now, and then maybe we can come back to it in the apply section. Okay. But I do think it's interesting. In verse 5, it's kind of like they have this secret unrighteousness, right? It says they have the yes. appearance of godliness. Right. But then down in verse 9, it says, 
their folly will be plain to all. So I thought that was kind of an interesting Hmm. dynamic while they're, you know, they had the appearance of godliness. Well, if their folly is known to everybody, can they really have the appearance? So maybe it's something interesting to explore. It reminds me of Haman in the book of Esther. You know, he, prime minister or whatever of the government, and he was respected and had people bowing down to him. But at the end of the story, he's hanging from a gallows that he built for somebody else. Yeah. So sometimes the best strategy is to avoid such people and wait for them to get hung by their own rope. Yeah, because they're not the going to get very far, yeah. Right. Because that's, that's exactly what he says in verse 9. They won't get very far. And some of these guys are night stalkers or something. They're creeping into households. Yeah, this is weird. To capture only... Yeah, it's... Yeah. To capture weak women, the King James says silly women. Yeah. Um, burden with sins, the women, I'm, I'm assuming, and mm-hmm. led astray by various passions. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of discussion on what exactly this means, and given the nature of the false teachers that we've we've studied now for uh, what is this is our ninth episode on pastoral epistles so far. Yeah, yeah. Um, these there's been fa- a lot of this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of these. What these false teachers are doing, and here it looks like they're specifically kind of working their way into the homes of some of these. Um, Widows, right? Um, he doesn't call them widows, but the language is similar to the language that he uses about certain widows in First Timothy, right? Yeah, he, that's right. So maybe that's why I'm thinking widows here. But either way, you know, they're kind of working their way into these homes. Uh, ESV says who creep into households. I think it's literally like who worm their way yeah, into households. They're yeah. so kind of burrowing their way in there. Um, Quite a picture. And they're picking on these women. Before we, before I want to talk a little bit about what that capture weak women might mean, uh, these weak women are women who are burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. So these are women who have maybe some kind of troubled past. They're burdened down with sins. Uh, maybe Running burdened. With the wrong crowd. Yeah, maybe very impressionable. They're burdened down. Maybe they feel guilty about sins they have done in the past, maybe secret sins that they're involved in at the moment. But either way, the idea is they're very impressionable. And like the ESV says, they are weak, but the idea is they are weak-willed. Isn't it literally they're little? Like it says they are little women, which yes, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, carries the idea of like being childish. That'd make a good so, book title. Yeah, Somebody ought to write little, that. Women. little Women. Yeah, write a uh, book on, on this chapter. Yeah, about little women. But he's he's talking about sp- specific women, not women in general. I think we better point yeah. that out. These mm-hmm. are certain women that Paul knows about. This you said this in the first segment that this seems very specific. Yeah, you know. So I think he's talking about people that Timothy knows, and uh, the mm-hmm. the church is being threatened. You know, the unity of the church, the purity of the church, because of these guys creeping into the households and the women being weak and struggling with their faith. Yeah. And um, And these guys, really, they take advantage of the vulnerable state of the women that he's talking about here. And like you said, he's obviously not talking about every woman. Not even talking about all widows. 
Yeah. He doesn't, again, he doesn't use the word widows There's here. There's just a few, and just I yeah. think this is pretty easy for everybody to understand, right? Everybody at some point in their life is more vulnerable to be led astray than at other points in their lives. Yeah. And right yeah. now, these women are in a very vulnerable state, and this just kind of speaks to the, I guess, the uh, just how really pitiful these false teachers are. Mm-hmm. You know, how bad, how corrupted they have become. They're going in purposefully trying to catch these women when they're at a bad place in their life, when they're vulnerable, to lead them away from the true gospel and to try to get them on their side. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm imagining a scenario in a church, and let me know if I'm getting too far into speculation, but I'm imagining a scenario where Timothy's in Ephesus, and you got Timothy on one side who's trying to convince the congregation, this is the gospel, this is the way you live it, Mm -hmm. this is what Paul has taught us in Christ. Then you have all these false teachers who are saying, you know, that's not right. That's not right. You need to be doing this. This is how we can live. There's all these other things that Timothy is not teaching us, or Timothy's teaching some things that are wrong. So maybe there's like a struggle going there. Maybe it's very public. Maybe it's not. But either way, these guys are creeping in. So they're going in, you know, they're trying to be secretive, meeting yeah. with these women alone. And this was, this was a real thing because uh, Jude 3 and 4 says that men crept in unnoticed to the church yeah. in that case. Uh, so, you know, this is something that Timothy didn't need to explain, but it would be interesting to see more explanation on this. Um, now, the next phrase in this list is one of my favorite. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Mm-hmm. I just, I know so many people who are that way. They, they like learning for learning's sake. Yeah, they're full-time students, mm-hmm. but they're not really concerned about a knowledge of the truth and living by it. They just like to be the smartest guy in the room. Yeah, you know, we've seen that before. Yeah, and you can, and I, again, I think that really fits with this whole like scenario that we have in mind. Yeah, you know, these women are, you know, and I'm certain, I'm certain that this did not just apply. Two women. I'm sure they were, you know, men of this You've kind of said that. weak-willed. <laughs> Andrew's terrified that uh, he's going to be cast as an yeah, I'm going to get woman, destroyed misogynist. now. Yeah, but you know, men are just as easily um, they yeah. go through these periods in life just as easily. And I can imagine somebody in that place in their life being like looking for something to grab a hold of, looking for something to relieve that guilt that they have for me burdened by sin, looking for something to maybe say, hey, it's not that bad that you're being led away, led astray by these different passions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it makes it very easy for them to come in and say, well, hey, learn this, learn this. Here's this stuff you can, you know. Yeah. I'm thinking of someone who's just taking in more information, more information, thinking that's going to justify them. Right. Whether the information right. is true or not, but never really come to that knowledge that's supposed to lead them to repentance. I like the illustration that he uses in verse 8 of Janice and Jamborees, and I I, yeah. I had to look that up. But this mm-hmm. was the, I guess, traditional names of the magicians in Exodus 7 and 8, where Moses mm-hmm. goes to Pharaoh and says, Let my people go. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Sometimes it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Sometimes it says, <clears throat> excuse me. Sometimes it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Sometimes yeah. it says that Pharaoh's magicians hardened his heart. Yeah. And this is the traditional name for the two magicians that um, 
hardened Pharaoh's heart. So yeah. three of Moses' signs they were able to duplicate in some way. Mm-hmm. We don't, we're not given a whole lot of detail on how, but it is suggested that they were mere parlor tricks and not true miracles. Mm-hmm. And they were the, the rod that became a serpent, the water turned to blood, Mm-hmm. Although I think there's probably a difference. Moses turned the entire Nile River into blood. Maybe they had a bucket of water. <laughs> I don't think that they also... T- and once the Nile is turned to blood, yeah, nobody else they, can make more blood. Yeah, it's, it's blood. They cleansed it and then turned it back to blood again. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I think it was on a much smaller scale. And then uh, the frogs. They were able to reproduce the appearance of a plague of frogs. Which again, if if Moses had called the frogs, and the whole earth was covered with them already, then this would have been a fairly simple trick for them to do. But when it came to the flies, or the gnats, as some translations put it, they were all out of tricks. And so Paul says, these men that are dividing the church, corrupted in mind, will not get very far, just as Janus and Jamboree's did not get very far in their deception. Yeah. Uh, Moses and God kept going to plague number 10 and the crossing of the Red Sea. These magicians had been forgotten when, yeah. the, li- when the flies came. That was it. Yeah, and there's something else here that I think can help us really figure out what's going on in Timothy's situation in Ephesus. The fact that he says that just as those two men opposed Moses, these men opposed the truth. So these two men, these two magicians obviously stood in direct opposition trying to disprove Moses. And I don't know if that was, I don't know if the scenario in Ephesus was necessarily that bad to where these false teachers were standing up and really trying to disprove everything Timothy had to say. But it does give you an idea of just how serious this problem was in Ephesus. You know, it's not like, hey, there's some guys spreading some rumors or, hey, there's some guys maybe teaching some weird things about hand clapping or a praise team or, you know, things that things that I think we could relate to now. Mm-hmm. These are people who are very publicly um, trying to discredit they're the gospel for the Timothy power. <clears throat> They're not trying to um, make... They're not trying to be progressive. They're trying to use their skills to gain influence with people to get the people to do the kinds of things they want them to do. Yeah. It's a power thing is what I'm saying. Right. It's not a sincere w- wish to question things and and learn the truth. It's it's learning about people so that you can manipulate them and get them to do whatever you want them to do. That's the kind of people that he's talking about here. Yeah. Uh, let's let's move on. Um I'm this particular verse has always been difficult to me. I think because we quote it so much. 2 Timothy 3:12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, that's usually quoted to say that every Christian at some point in his life, maybe in many points of his life, is going to suffer persecution. Yeah. And um, I guess what I want us to be careful with this verse because there may be a young Christian or maybe, maybe an older Christian who would say, you know, thinking back on my life, I don't think that I've ever been persecuted. Because of our definition of persecution, I mean, it's different for every person. Yeah. Um, 
it's certainly none of us in this part of the world define persecution the way that Timothy would have, where lives are at stake. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Now, over in the Middle East, North Africa, other places, definitely. Um, so, I, I guess that's all I got to say is be careful. Don't look back and say, I've not been persecuted, so I must not be have lived godly lives in Christ Jesus. I mean, this is a general thing where Timothy's being told, as I said in the outline, the way through this difficult time is not avoiding persecution. Yeah. If you're if you're in these difficult times, you are going to suffer persecution. Yeah, I don't I, I like what you said. We need to be careful to make this like a requirement. Right. For a Christian. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're trying to live a godly life, oh you haven't been persecuted, well you must not be trying to live a godly life. Yeah, you turn into Job's friends who're saying, you know, yeah. this is the law, the law of retribution. You're suffering so you sinned. Yeah. You're not suffering so you haven't sinned. In this case, no. it's like you're not being persecuted. Well, you're not a real Christian. Yeah, it's backwards of what yeah, Joe's friends were saying. Verse one says that this is the difficulties of the last days. Now, yeah. I believe "last days" here stands for the Christian age, and we've already talked about that in our podcast. I think, like I said, I think we discussed that at length when we did First Timothy four, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, um, but I do think. We just need to understand that persecution is relative, our idea of what persecution is. Yeah. I've heard it explained. I don't think this is wrong, but I've heard people explain the problem by saying, well, you know, if you lose a friend because you're a Christian, or if uh, a family member turns against you when you're a Christian, or if you get rejected or made fun of because you're a Christian, mm-hmm. then that qualifies as persecution. So it's light persecution, but it's still persecution. Yeah, it's impossible to be legalistic with this verse in the way that I think we're talking about saying, well, if you haven't been persecuted, you're not living a godly life for those reasons, for the levels of persecutions. Obviously, in Paul's eyes, nobody in the Bible Belt is being persecuted. I mean, give me a break. I went back and read about Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which he mentions in verse 11. To refresh my memory, that's the first missionary journey with Bar... uh, Barnabas. Why does that not sound right to me? Barnabas. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they go out to these places, and these uh, enemies, these opponents of theirs, follow them around from Antioch to these other places, Iconium, Lystra. Mm -hmm. And eventually, Paul gets stoned and left for dead. And he was stoned, and they assumed he was dead. They thought they had finished the job. And Luke tells us that after they were gone, he got up and somehow made his way to the next city. Yeah. Uh, that's persecution. Yeah. Somebody somebody posting on Facebook that your beliefs are wrong is I mean at the same level. Exactly. Yeah, if you take it in perspective, you know, maybe we can handle that a little bit better than saying, Oh my goodness, our country has come to garbage because someone on Facebook is saying something negative about Christianity. Paul definitely saw per- persecution in a different light. And it also don't want to spend too much time on this, but it reminds me also of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, where it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Um, yeah. We try to make those Beatitudes, you know, requirements into the kingdom. Then we have the same problem there that we do here. What if I become a Christian and am never persecuted? Am I still yeah. going to make it? And the answer is certainly, but I do think it's it stands as a rule, a general rule, that if we desire to live a godly life, just as Jesus said, you know, don't be shocked that the world hates you because they hated me first. Yeah. 
Um, That's we've, a good point, yeah. We've already read, maybe not in this particular series. Uh, no, we haven't. Um, you know, in the book of Ephesians, isn't it Ephesians where it says um, the darkness basically hates the light because the light exposes? I think it's John. That's in John. Okay, Miss, maybe we have done it. Maybe we did it in John. Yeah. Um. So the darkness, by definition, is opposed to light. So it stands as a general rule, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's good. That those yeah. who desire to be godly will be persecuted by those who don't. Mm-hmm. Let's spend the rest of our time on inspiration. Okay. Uh, those who are not accustomed to the ESV might have been surprised to hear the phrase "God breathed." In Second Timothy three sixteen, when they're used to hearing the word inspiration, yeah, inspiration is a is it Latin? It's kind of a Latin based term that means God breathed. Whatever and you say, it comes Sounds from good. the uh, the Greek compound word where they put the word theos together with pneumos, mm-hmm. or the verb form of that. Uh, God breathed. So that's what it literally mm-hmm. means. The scripture is God breathed, and we need to think about that. Um, and and think accurately on that. It's very important to our the level of authority we give to the scriptures. Yeah. Um, let me throw out some theories of inspiration that are false, proven false by the Bible itself, and are not harmonious with the Bible's claims about itself. Uh, one theory is that inspiration means genius, like the works of Shakespeare or the Declaration of Independence. These men were inspired, kind of like we use the word today of an artist. He was inspired when he wrote that or drew that, painted that. Um, That is not what the Bible claims. The Bible does not claim the idea of, the way I learned it in school, mechanical dictation, where they were just like human typewriters and God was pumping the exact wording in. The problem with that idea is... The stylistic differences that you get from book to book. You know, Paul mm-hmm. didn't write the same way that um, you know Mark wrote. Uh, John didn't write the same way Peter wrote. You can see yeah. the differences even through the English translations. You could tell uh, the differences in writing style. Uh, how do you explain that if you believe that inspiration is the prophet goes into a trance, his quill begins moving all over the scroll, and mm-hmm. then he wakes up and he looks down and whoa, there's the book of John. That's mm-hmm. not the way that it works. Um, so the Bible does not, it also doesn't claim that God inspired the thoughts of, I'm doing a lot of gestures with you here, yeah. Andrew. The people yeah. can see. The people that are listening are really missing out. I feel like I'm understanding this at least <laughs> ten times better than those who don't have the I'm, visual I'm aid. I'm like preaching a sermon here to Andrew yeah. alone. we got to um, set this up. It's got to be a video podcast no, next week. No, no. Um... <laughs> We're actually. This would have been perfect today. We're almost wearing matching shirts. Yeah, we look good. We could have a '66 uniform. We can talk about that off air. This is not going to happen. What was that saying? A good idea. Uh, thoughts though. didn't just inspire the thoughts yeah. and depend on the writers to come up with the right words. I mean, I can understand where that theory came from because of the styles. But you know, if you go over to First Corinthians two, it's very clear that God inspired the very words of the Bible. Of the scriptures. Um, speaking of the Spirit, uh, verse 12, Paul says, We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, 
but taught by the Spirit. Words taught by the Spirit. And there are other places we could go to and other examples of the way the Scripture is used, but I don't think we really have time to, to do this whole podcast on inspiration. Yeah. There's a, there's a term for this. I'd like to, you know, basically the idea is inspiration is verbal. God inspired the words that you read in the Bible, the Hebrew words and the Greek words that translated in our case to the English words. He, ins- he inspired every word. He breathed every word out. How did he do that and maintain the personalities and styles of the individual writers? I don't know. It was a miracle. Mm-hmm. It's it, there's nothing short of a miracle in the way that this uh, these 66 books were compiled and put together. It was a miracle from God yeah. using these prophets and apostles and inspired writers. And so we're not being nitpicky when we insist that people look at a particular word that was mm-hmm. being used. The yeah, Spirit I, gave that word. Yeah. Yeah, right. So it's important. Yeah, I was just about to make that point, so now yeah. I have nothing to say. I, I knew you were about to say something. I was trying to get the last thing out, and then yeah. you got quiet. So I have nothing to say except, that. yeah, now, what he said. Yeah. Uh, it seems like there was something else I was wanting to say about inspiration. Um, but Plenary. Plenary. No, I didn't want, I didn't want to use that. We but every word, that word, every word is inspired. Every word. Uh, let's, let's break it right there if you want to. I'd love to take a break. Yeah, and uh, we'll get our video podcast set up for the next section. Stay tuned. Okay, so as we come back into this final section, we're going to take what we have read and try to make it um, apply to our situation right now. And the first thing that stuck out to me, Drew, that I want to mention here is the situation in verses 6 and 7. So these guys are going in and preying on vulnerable people, and these people are vulnerable because they are burdened down with sins and they are led astray by various passions. So they're in a position to where whatever is in their past or maybe in their present looks like they have a lot of guilt on their heart. Um, Whatever they've been involved in, maybe it's secret, maybe it's not. Maybe some of that guilt is from the public shame they've had to go through. But whatever it is, that has put them in a place of vulnerability. And the application that I want to mention here is there's no reason for anybody to be put in that position, right? Right. No matter what sins we have committed in the past, no matter what things we might have done a few hours ago that nobody knows about, uh, that aren't necessarily you know, way back in our past, maybe they're part of our present, um, there's no reason for those things to define us as who we are you know, to our deepest level. Mm-hmm. So just yeah. because we have, we have struggled with a certain sin in the past or we currently struggle with it, does not mean that we should allow ourselves to be burdened by it. We right, know the yeah. negative effects, and we're right now, Drew, you're teaching a class on self-esteem on Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. and we know the negative effects that guilt and shame... Now, guilt and shame can produce some positive things like repentance, Yeah. but when taken too far, it can lead you down some very dark paths. Mm-hmm. It can lead you into things like these folks here were very impressionable they were led astray by various passions 
Um, they go from bad to worse. Right. You know, so the bad part of that, to borrow the, the phrase from verse 13, the bad part of that is the first, you know, the sins are where they're, they're burdened with sins or led astray by various passions. And then the worse is they start looking for an easy message maybe or their hearts are right. vulnerable to more sin or mm-hmm. bad associations. Uh, so if we don't stop that... Um, that progress into sin, if we don't stop it in its tracks, we're going to be, I think what you're saying is we're going to be more and more open to worse things. Right. Only worse in terms of not being able to come back from them. Yeah, and I'm thinking of... A difficult time coming back from them. Thinking of like you mentioned, if I'm someone who's struggling with an addiction and I hear a, le- I hear a message that says, hey, God's okay with your addiction. You know, you've heard that it's not okay with God. So say you're addicted to alcohol or something and you've been told, you know, you, this is something that you need to get rid of, that you can't do anymore. And all of a sudden you hear this message that says, hey, God doesn't care. You know, yeah, it's God is, big deal. it's not that big a deal. As long as you, as long as you pray every Sunday at the altar call, then you can be an alcoholic if you want. That's a lot easier of a message for a person who's in this vulnerable vulnerable state to accept yeah so the idea is to really try we need to understand excuse me we need to understand how much god values us and the magnitude of god's forgiveness and acceptance of us no matter what we have done and i think that can really help us relieve a burden of sin that we might have and then obviously another way to relieve a kind of burden of sin like this is the encouragement of fellow Christians. I'm yeah. thinking Galatians six two, bear one another's burdens. Yeah. Um, well, that that actually leads us to our next lesson. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that happens when you open yourself up through sin to worse things, um, sometimes that's associations, friendships. Uh, you mentioned Christians are good, but people who influence you in the wrong way are not. Uh, verse five, Paul tells Timothy, avoid such people. Which means, here's the lesson, you can choose your friends, and you should choose them wisely. You know, a lot of us wind up being friends with the people we happen to be thrown together with. Take you and me, for example. No, mm-hmm. just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, Stuck in the same office. You, you, work, with some, you work with somebody for 20 years, that, that becomes your friend. Uh, you went to school with this group of people. You didn't plan to be with these people. You're just thrown together in the same classroom with them. You spend a lot of time with them. They wind up being your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people don't consider the fact that you choose your friends. You can choose your friends. And one of the reasons is a lot of us have had these embarrassing, awkward times in our lives where we tried to choose a friend and we just scared them to death and they ran away from us. Yeah. You know, like, hey, uh, you know, what, are you busy tomorrow night? Uh, you know, you're trying mm-hmm. too earnestly to make a friend, that you smother them and they run away from you. Um, so if somebody says, well, okay, choose my friends, how do I do that? Well, the way that you do that is you get involved in the kinds of things that good people do. You know, volunteering in your community, uh, being active in your church, going to Bible classes and discussing God's Word together, uh, getting involved in fellowship and, and coming to church regularly and, and going on mission campaigns. The the friends that are good for you that last a lifetime 
are not friends that you force into a friendship. They're friends that you happen to find yourself working shoulder to shoulder with doing something good. And so yeah, uh, working together towards a common goal. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's where friendships are born. Yeah. Um, and I really like what you said. If you want to be a, so if you want to build relationships with good people, start doing the things that good people do. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they will magically where they are. turn up. Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to find some, Oh, well, I say this, I probably might not just say this recorded, but you know, you're not going to go like down to the bar at two o'clock in the morning and find maybe the not right kind of you know friend. like find salt of the earth go no. to the club at three o'clock in the morning probably not gonna find those well, types of people at that stage in their life you know they're yeah. not gonna be the best influence on you definitely not at that moment at the very yeah. least you know the next no. day they might be out feeding the homeless but at that right. moment <laughs> we might have to just scratch <laughs> that out of there we'll see no it's good we got another like lesson we here that. yeah we do um Another lesson is, let's go back to verse 12, and we've said a lot about what this isn't saying. I think we need to remember what it is saying. And I guess the lesson is, if you feel that life is too easy, and you never run into any obstacles or persecutions, be sure that that's not the case because you're avoiding risks by neglecting the gospel. Yeah, you mentioned, boy, that was the worst worded lesson ever. But <laughs> that was pretty know, good. We, and I, it may sound like we're talking out of both sides of our mouths here, but I guess what I'm saying is, make sure you know it's possible that you're not being persecuted because you live in America and you're surrounded by great people. But it also may be the case that you're never persecuted because you don't stand for anything. You try yeah. to blend in. You don't share the gospel with anybody. Nobody's ever had a chance to reject you or, or get angry with you or persecute you because they don't know anything about your faith. As far as they're concerned, you're exactly like them. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us to be different. Yeah. Uh, what more are you doing than others? Yeah. Um, so don't just love your friends, love your enemies, live a distinctive life, a radical uh, Yeah, be the city on the hill. Yeah, be the city on the hill, mm-hmm. stand above the fray, love without being loved um and like you said jesus told his disciples the world's gonna hate you it hated me yeah so i guess it's the other side of what we were talking about in the in the second segment um yeah it's not a qualification yeah it's not something to be legalistic about but at the same time like we said it is kind of a general rule yeah so you got to ask yourself are you are you doing enough to be persecuted? <laughs> right. You know, are your... But we're careful with that, too, because I, I think everybody by now knows what we mean. Just basically, are you pretty much, I think a good way to sum it up is, are you ashamed of the gospel or not? Yes. Yeah. This last one is really important. I think this is all we're going to have time for. Uh, all Scripture is is given by inspiration. Therefore, the Bible is sufficient in matters of life and godliness. That's Second Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent. That means, you know, fully equipped, equipped for every good work. There's no work left out of that that's good that the scripture can't train you to do. Yeah. There's there's nothing in your character 
that you have to get from a source other than the Bible. Right. Um, Peter says in Second Peter 1, 3, that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This isn't a claim that, you know, the Bible is the, has the answers for everything, whether it's medicine, history, science, etc. But when it comes to life and godliness, all that you need is in the Bible. Right. You don't need somebody adding something to it. You don't need something from our society that they didn't have in their society. The Bible has timeless truths that will navigate us through whatever difficulties we're facing, just as it did Timothy with the difficulties that that he was facing. Yeah. I don't know how much time we have left. I don't know if I want to open this up. Yeah, we got a little, little time. So Paul is talking to Timothy about the sacred writings that from his childhood he's been acquainted with which are able to make him wise for salvation. And he says all scriptures breathed out by God. So the scripture Paul's talking about here, obviously this includes the New Testament because the New Testament has long been recognized as scripture as well. But at the time of its writing, is Paul Paul's referring to the Old Testament, right? When he's talking about the sacred writings and when he says all scripture breathed out. Yeah, I believe so. Um, I'm not saying like this only said, applies to the Old Testament. I'm definitely not saying that. It well, definitely applies to the New Testament because it is yeah, recognized it as Scripture. But the Scriptures that Timothy was uh, brought up on, the sacred writings mentioned in verse 15, have to be the Old Testament. There wasn't a book of the Bible. Well, maybe there was, but uh, if there was, there probably wasn't a book of the New Testament written at the time that, that Lois and Or at I least not in... Timothy. Yeah, and at least, at the very least, not in circulation everywhere. No, definitely not. You know, now, we know Paul's letters were circulated. We'll have to go through this because people say, well, the New yeah. Testament was put together by Constantine or something like that. The, the Paul's letters were being circulated around very early, like right. maybe in the 50s. Uh, he mentions that. He tells uh, Colossae at the end of the Colossians letter, he says, yeah, make sure uh, take this, this letter to the people at Laodicea and get the letter that they've got and read it in your services. And Peter refers to Paul's writings as scripture yeah. in Second Peter three fifteen and sixteen. Yeah, so the Christians regarded the writings of Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, Jude, Hebrew guy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Hebrew guy. I like all, that. All of those. The, the church. <laughs> the church. The church regarded that as as scripture. I also wanted to say this. You know, this is a bold claim that the Bible is making, and you know, a lot of people today want to say, well, the Bible. You know, the Bible is a great book, and I get a lot from the Bible, but it's not literally the Word of God. It's yeah. uh, suggesting some, a good life, but it's not literally the Word of God. The Bible doesn't let you make that claim, and it kind of this is the idea that C.S. Lewis used to use with regard to Jesus. You can't yeah. say that he was just a great moral teacher because he was constantly saying, I'm the Son of God, and so mm-hmm. you can either call him a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. You can't, you can't call him anything but that. So you got those three choices. Well, the Bible says I'm inspired, and so you can't say, "Well, it's just a good ethical book to be laid aside." Uh, other ethical books of antiquity, the Bible doesn't let you get away with that. It's either a book full of lies, or it was written by crazy people, or it is inspired of God, just yeah. exactly as it claims. It's about the only choices that you have. And uh, we all have to decide for ourselves whether we're going to think this is full of lies or insane babbling or the truth. Yeah, and are we going to let it change our lives or not? Right. When you look at it, I mean, it's obviously not written by lunatics. 
No. I mean, it's so... It wouldn't have been helpful at all if it was written by lunatics. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not the product of liars. Mm-hmm. Because these people got killed for writing these kinds of things. Verse mm-hmm. 12. Yeah. So, it has to be what it claims to be, the inspired Word of God. Yeah. Sufficient for everything that we need. Um, does that wrap it up for you? Wraps it up for me. I'm I'm out of useful knowledge at this point, I think. Well, that's because, and our audience needs to know this, and for posterity's sake, maybe Uh-oh. I'll listen to this later on, but Andrew has become a father. Thursday. A beautiful baby girl week. was born Thursday, a week late. Yeah, a week late. Um, she is now five days old. She's pretty. And yeah, I think she's pretty. I'm probably a little biased. She has a ton of hair. Yeah. She's so got do a you. lot of hair. We did not so I so I'm going back and forth. I think our due date was off because she's so tiny. But at the same time, she's she has all this hair. Really tight and tiny. She was six thirteen. Yeah, six thirteen. Which I guess is just I'm not used to little babies. Six all the time, pounds, I guess. thirteen ounces, not six hundred and thirteen pounds. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a large child. Yeah. But she's so tiny, but her hairs are long and her fingernails are real long, which makes Ouch. me think she was cooking a little too long in there for hairs that long. <laughs> hey, but, watch out for those baby fingernails. They're like razor sharp. It's yeah, unbelievable. She's been wearing those little gloves. Yeah. Ever since we got home, she's wearing those little my gloves. My son sliced my cornea. Oh, uh, my goodness. And one of our listeners is an optometrist. and uh, Maybe. He brought it in and listened. I went to, yeah, I went to see him because I was in such pain. Mm-hmm. And he looked at it and began to laugh <laughs> as if this were funny. But um, God, God, congratulations. Yeah. Thanks, uh, man. Being a father. Look he, forward to my kids, cornea getting kid. scratched. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, listeners. To make for safety goggles in. for dads. Yeah, you can wear those all the time. I recommend that. Please wear swimming goggles. Yeah, I'm going to start time. wearing those everywhere I go. Um, feedback, please send it our way. Um, a. Kingsley. Yeah, I'm winding down. I'm like getting real lazy with my talk here. I'm slowing <laughs> down. A. Kingsley at ARCOC.com. D. Kaiser at ARCOC.com. We're on um, Facebook, Twitter. Oh, yeah, we're all over the place. We're nationwide. Yeah. If you type us in on the internet, you are bound to find one of our outlets. Yeah. That's that's exactly true. Just watch TV for 30 minutes. You'll see one of our commercials. Mm. No. Uh, next week, we are going, that's Lord why we willing, need that producer. to finish Second Timothy. Right, chapter four. Chapter four. Yeah, that's... so we'll put another one on the shelf after next episode. Hope that you will stick with us through then. Until then, uh, have a good week. You want to try it now? This is a test of the American Broadcasting <laughs> Corporation. ABC. Hello, hello. Ah. Ah, me day, me day, sibilance, sibilance, one, two. Um.